everybody. How you doing? And we are back. Just back with you again Wednesday at 2, live streaming on Facebook and Twitter. Excuse me, Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for joining me here. Another episode of the John Riley Project. We've got some great stuff in store for you today. We're going to be getting into the city of Solana Beach and some of their climate change policies that they've recently enacted. We're going to kind of break that down and look at it from a couple of different angles, you know, because, you know, climate change, a big, big topic. I like getting into it. I'm an EV driver. I'm a big climate change um, what's the right word? I'm a proponent for change, right? For positive change. So we're going to get into the cl- uh, climate change policies in Solana Beach. We're going to talk a little bit about parking wars and some of the uh, changes that the city of San Diego just recently approved that could radically transform neighborhoods in the way they enforce um, parking regulations. And we're going to kind of get into that. And L.A. has had some great success with it. And this links to COVID and a lot of other things. So we'll talk about parking wars. Um, I want to talk a bit about, you know, here in my hometown of Poway, Poway's Irish pub is closing down. There's been a lot of reaction from friends and neighbors here um, in Poway. I'm going to share some stories with that. If we have time, I'm going to talk a little bit about Marion Kim Phelps, the superintendent at Poway Unified. And there's like an initiative that's going out. They want to fire Phelps. I've been seeing that out in the community. I want to share a little bit about my experience there. So got a lot to get into. Uh, So thanks for joining me. If you want to share your comments and thoughts, just type them in on Facebook or on YouTube. I will say this. Last uh, Saturday, the fine wife and I, we went to UCSD and saw the Tritons play George Washington. What a game. Great to see my alma mater, Division One. They're 3-0, and baby. We had a great experience. If you want to check out, um, you know, just some of the sights and scenes from that, um, go to my website at johnreillyproject.com, and I have a blog article talking about our experience at the Remac Arena at UC San Diego. So welcome you to check that out. But let's get into the city of Solana Beach. And, you know, one of the things I like to do in this podcast is really cover a lot of local content. And sometimes I'm super duper local here in my my hometown of Poway. But I like taking a look at some of the other cities around the county. And there's been some recent news in the city of Solana Beach that I thought was amazing. And the headline in the San Diego Union Tribune was that Solana Beach passes a rule to boost solar, electric vehicle charging, and battery storage. So this immediately gets, you know, gets my attention because, you know, we have two electric vehicles that we power from solar, from the solar on our rooftop. And we've embraced here in our house all kinds of our own ways to kind of, you know, reduce our carbon emissions. So when I see cities doing this, it's interesting to me. And the city is, according to this article in the Union Tribune, the city of Solana Beach um, has passed a wide ranging ordinance aimed at boosting electrification, battery storage, solar installation, electric vehicle charging on all new construction in the beach community. And new construction is a very interesting part of this story that we're going to get into here as we as we go through this. Um, so what what they're trying to do is eliminate a lot of gas, you know, natural gas that's going into homes to have more people powering their house 
with electricity. You know, what do we use gas for in our homes? For some of us, it's used for heating. For some of us, it's used for our dryer. Um, in other cases, we might have a gas stove top. Um, so, you know, I think the city of Encinitas recently did something like this, where they're trying to eliminate gas lines going into new construction. So Solana Beach is doing that, uh, but they're going a lot further with this, and that you know they want to go you know with with more EV charging, more solar, and then the like. But what's interesting is is that you know they always carve out exceptions to the rule. Now, first of all, this is just for new construction, but think about it in Solana Beach how much new construction is really going on. The city is largely built out. So is this just a, a virtue signal? Is, it, is this just saying, you know, we're taking action on climate change, but really nothing significant really changes? It kind of sounds that way when they're just doing it for new construction. But it goes a step further because they're not saying they want to eliminate gas for all new construction, but they also want to carve out exceptions um, for gas um, for things like indoor and outdoor cooking and for indoor and outdoor fire pits. So you're thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe when it comes to commercial property, that sort of makes sense because, you know, chefs, you know, the professional chefs like to cook on gas. I get that. Um, but still this – you know, they're carving out these sort of exceptions. You know, the rich people that live near the coast have their gas-powered uh, fire pit. But, of course, those are not part of the ordinance. It's just for new construction, which is going to be such a tiny, infinitesimal amount of impact because the city is so largely built out. Um, now, Already what they're doing is they're sort of piling on with the state requirement because, you know, the state says all new construction of homes have to have solar. Okay, so they're kind of, you know, adding on to that sort of an idea, but they're also requiring electric vehicle charging. And the, the rule is, is that for single family residents that have a designated parking spot, they want it to be pre-wired for an EV charger. So what does that mean? That means they have to have a 240 volt um, outlet. And that's what we did in our house here in Poway is we hired an electrician. He came in and laid down a, a, a 240 volt line. I think it's a, I think it's a 60 amp circuit that they put there um, in our home. And I think the installation of just that electrical line was around 600 bucks or so, maybe $700. Well, now they're saying in the city of Solana Beach, this is now mandatory for all new home construction. And then for multifamily residences and hotels and motels, they want to have 25% of their parking spots equipped with level two charging. Now, this is a legit issue. Like in apartment buildings and condos, you know, they can't just install your own EV charger in a public parking spot. Obviously, if you have a condo with your own individual parking garage that'll work fine but in more public parking um, areas you, it's it's difficult to have access to charging so a lot of renters or condo owners they depend on public charging so what they want to do now is make it mandatory that 25% of the spaces in these apartment and condo complexes are set up for EV charging again it sounds nice but how many new 
apartment buildings and condominium complexes are going into Solana Beach. I mean, very, very few because it's already built out. They want to do the same thing for hotels. But, you know, hotels are already kind of doing this anyways because they want to attract travelers. They want to attract travelers that drive electric vehicles so they can park on their lot and charge. And, you know, I'm a I travel a lot in my EV and I use the app PlugShare and you can go to PlugShare.com. It gives a map of all the EV charging stations and you can see which hotels have charging stations, which ones don't. And so you're seeing a lot of EV drivers kind of figuring out where the charging stations already are. And a lot of forward thinking hoteliers are installing these systems as sort of a customer magnet to attract people to their hotel and motel. In fact, a lot of apartment complexes and condominium complexes are also doing the same thing to attract renters and to attract car um, condo buyers into their complexes. But Solana Beach is trying to enact this as a policy to force new construction to adopt this. Now, it makes sense if that private property owner wants to do it, and I'm, I support that. But it just seems silly to me that the city is mandating this because in so many ways, the city themselves are not really walking the walk. Is the city themselves embracing electric vehicles for their own internal fleet? I don't think so. I mean, I just kind of did a little bit of a browse through the city of Solana Beach, looking at the trucks that the fire department drives. They're all gasoline powered cars. You know, they have uh, trucks and regular sedan cars that are owned by the city of Solana Beach. For the most part, based on what I could see, are all gasoline powered cars. Then I even got onto Google Maps and I was wondering, you know, does the city hall actually have solar panels themselves? And as far as I could tell by looking at Google Maps, like the Google Earth, I don't think they do. Um, The police department might have solar as a canopy in the parking lot. I couldn't quite tell. The fire department doesn't appear to have solar. So, you know, this is always a controversial topic here in my hometown of Poway is that there are some activists in our community that typically are left of center, some of the more progressive folks in Poway that are always complaining that the city of Poway doesn't have a climate change or climate action plan. And I think a lot of them want to see something like this with the city of Solana Beach is doing that is mandating people install this new technology. I'm always of the belief that a climate change plan for the city should be what the city themselves could do. Um, and the I, Solana Beach actually has taken some of their own proactive measures. They've installed LED lighting throughout parts of the city. They've even installed a few electric vehicle charging stations at City Hall. So, you know, bravo, kudos. That's the kind of action that I like to see, to lead by example. Um, but it seems that, you know, with a lot of climate change advocates that are pushing for societal change, I've noticed in my own personal experience is that they rarely want to look within and take action themselves and walk the walk, but instead they want to force everyone else to change. Um, it's uh, That's why I say a lot of this feels like virtue signaling. Again, I welcome your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type them in in Facebook and in YouTube. You know, What we've done in our home is we walk the walk. 
Um, like I said, we have two electric vehicles. We have a charging station in our garage. They're powered from the solar panels on our roof. In fact, our solar panels produce so much surplus energy that we send back into the grid that we pay nothing for electricity with SDG&E. In fact, our bill last month was negative $8. Incredible. Um, in our home, we've installed LED lighting. We've restricted water use. We've actually cleared space on our property to get rid of um, you know, older plants so we can conserve water. We're mulching. We're doing a lot of things. We recycle above and beyond the blue bin that comes into our home. Um, so it's, uh, I like to see it when people are walking the walk rather than just talking the talk. And it seems, I've always seen, it seems to me that when I hear people demanding that we do something about climate change, the first question I, I ask them is, what kind of car do you drive? You know, what are you doing to live your own values? What are you doing to make change in your own way? You know, rather than demanding that everyone else change, what are you doing yourself? I mean, this is all about in my opinion, integrity, personal responsibility, um, living your values and doing so with your head held high. Um, so when I see the city of Solana Beach, it, they're, they're demanding all of these, you know, we want to get rid of gas, except in, in these special exceptions. We want to ensure there's solar, but the state already mandated it. We want to have electric vehicle charging stations mandated for new construction homes, mandated for hotels, mandated um, for condos and apartment complexes, but again, only if it's a new construction. Now they say, well, if it's a major upgrade where about 50% or more is radically transformed, then we're going to call it new construction. But still, Solana Beach is so largely built out. I look at this and I think, you know, how, how much are they really moving the needle here? Um, it just seems like they just want to take credit for it. They just want to pat themselves on the back when, when it comes to this whole thing. So, you know, it was funny. The city of Solana Beach made this announcement um, and it's all this, the meetings are on Zoom and no representatives from area contractors or home remodeling groups called in for public comment. And of course they didn't call in. You know why? It's because they're going to get the contracts to install all of these things when they actually have to be put in. And then they can just raise their hands and say, hey, this is out of our hands. The city is demanding it from us. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm all for reducing carbon footprint. You know, I'm all about that. But I just see these examples that are being implemented in our in our home county of San Diego County, I see Solana Beach doing it. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, what kind of a difference are you making? Now, like I said, in my hometown of Poway, there's a lot of, you know, apparently Poway is one of or one or one of two cities in San Diego County does have a climate action plan. That really irks a lot of activists in our community. Our city council you know, they're generally all Republican. I'm not even sure if climate change is one of their priorities. It obviously isn't. But to me, this is almost like a no-brainer. I mean, it, a city could easily take action on this sort of thing by 
transforming their fleet of trucks and cars to be all electric. I mean, Rivian has just come out with a whole uh, new electric pickup trucks and electric SUVs. Ford is coming out with their electric F-150. Eventually, Tesla is going to come out that space age looking truck. But there's so many electric cars that are available that could function, you know, very well for certain city services. Um, Cities could install solar on all of their buildings and power their own buildings with rays from the sun. Cities can also take other proactive measures to reduce the amount of water that they're consuming. In fact, Poway has already done some of that. Poway, I think the fire department, um, one of the firehouses has solar panels. Poway has also reduced a lot of their landscaping in the parks to minimize water usage. Poway's already doing some of these things. They've already installed LED. I mean, you could almost kind of wrap that up in a package and that can become phase one or version 1.0 of a climate action plan. And that's actual results rather than this sort of virtue signaling that the city of Solana Beach is doing. Um, So, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think? Um, I know Solana Beach, I think they were one of the first cities to ban the plastic bags. Remember, that was a big deal about how long ago was that? Maybe seven, eight years ago. So, um, So we'll see. Now, there is a city in Colorado that did something a little bit different. And I think this is worthy of commenting. And this is a story I think is very interesting. And it's this Colorado community was proof that an all-electric net zero future is possible. And this is interesting. So the city is, um, what is the name of the city? It's called Arvada, Colorado. And it's sort of north and west of Denver. And the developer went into this particular city and said, we are this community within the city. The community is called Geos, G-E-O-S. And they said, we're going to build these homes. And this is going to be a, an example of how we can live a sustainable lifestyle. And um, it's a net zero community where the homes produce enough energy for the year with just renewables. And each home has a solar array, and get this, a herd of goats to keep the grass and weeds at bay. (laughs) Um, So imagine living in a neighborhood with goats sort of roaming around, chewing up the landscaping. But that was part of their plan. And so they they had installed solar panels to really power these homes. And what was interesting is that they didn't need natural gas. They were able to figure out a plan— so that natural gas wasn't necessary. So rather than a city like Solana Beach or Encinitas mandating that developers cannot use natural gas for new construction, except in certain special cases, what they did, what this happened here is that a private developer said, we're going to prove it. We're not going to just talk the talk. We're going to walk the walk. We're going to build homes that live sustainably, live without using or burning carbon uh, fuels, without carbon emissions. And they did it. And this this community is tremendous. Um, they built, I think it was 28 homes, and they were able to, let me see if I can find the part in the article, how they configured it. And it was interesting how this whole thing worked. Oh, yeah, here it is. 
Because sunshine means warmth and energy, homes were laid out in a checkerboard-like pattern. So one doesn't cast a shadow over the other. Along with solar panels on each roof, um, they included energy-efficient washers and dryers, triple-paned windows for insulation, LED lights, double car garages with garage with charging stations for electric vehicles. I mean, they made it work. And it got to the point where they they announced these homes for sale. They were gobbled up right away. I mean, imagine in this housing crisis, of course, they're sold quickly, but they were sold to people that shared those values, people that wanted to make an impact, uh, to, to positively impact the climate. And it wasn't a problem. And the developer apparently had additional land that they were going to develop and build more homes. Um, and they wanted to prove first that it could be done, and they successfully did it. But then the developer was just a private individual owner, ended up going through a divorce. He had some financial difficulty. He had to sell part of his land. And a new developer came in, and originally they said, yeah, we're going to embrace the original plan of making it a net zero, fully sustainable neighborhood in the city of Arvada. Well, shortly after the new developer came in, they looked at it and they said, you know what? We're going to put in gas lines. And oh my God, the people in Arvada were in the geos community were angry. Of course, you know, cause they had made the investment to live in this zero, this zero carbon sustainable community. And now they felt like the rug had been pulled out from under them. Um, but the new developer came in and they basically said, it's not really a sustainable business model. They didn't feel like they could maximize profits to the point that it made sense, which is kind of a shame. Now, some people might say, well, if the city had mandated the abolishment of gas lines, then they never, they, that this never would have happened and they would have been able to continue building an all electric community. Um, but it's an interesting approach because I liked it, the idea that the developer was living their own values. They were building homes that matched their values and they were using it as a vehicle, as a marketing vehicle to attract like-minded consumers to move into the community, people that share their values. I mean, to me, this is the way we should be fighting climate change, is people taking initiative. Rather than a city government sort of virtue signaling, saying, yeah, we're going to have all electric vehicle charging stations in our, in our homes. We're going to have solar on all of our roofs, but only for new construction and really, there's very little new construction here. So really, we're not going to be moving the needle. But the city of Arvada did it. And I, I, I just think this is great. I mean, now granted, it's not the whole city, but it's this one community called Geos. But the, the people are, are angry. And so there's lawsuits going on. The developer is trying to find a way to make it work. But there's an interesting line here and, and an interesting quote from one of the one of the people that live in the community, and they said, nobody knew they wanted a Tesla before Elon Musk started making Teslas. They built it from the ground up and they showed there was demand for it. So the homes in this community are like a Tesla. People don't know what they want until it's there and it's available. And that's a really interesting lesson because 
at some level, we think the economy runs where consumers are demanding things and then production will just build products to suit that demand. And certainly that's very true in large parts of the economy. But the people, the, the entrepreneurs that really make an impact are the ones that can see beyond that. Someone like Steve Jobs, he created, well, his company created the iPhone. Well, prior to the iPhone, was there a demand for an iPhone? I mean, most people kind of saw it coming because they saw the iPod, they saw cellular phones, they figured they'd probably merge, but there was no outpouring of demand for this thing called the iPhone. But once Jobs developed it and built it and started selling it, people saw the power of that product and then they began lining up in droves for it to the point that whenever there was a new release of an iPhone, people show up like they're waiting for the next Star Wars movie. They show up days in advance camping out in line at the next Apple store. This Geos community did something similar. They built out a housing development that was sustainable, that didn't use any fossil fuels, that embraced solar, embraced electric vehicles, and and had goats that were that were trimming the grass and, and the landscaping. But they did something unique and special. And I, I think this goes, this is something that can go much further than something like the city of Solana Beach laying down a mandate that really has almost no impact on the rest of the city. Um, so an interesting story. They're, they're still trying to work this out in the city of Arvada. But it just kind of makes you think about how that matches up with city of Solana Beach and even here in my hometown of Poway. Pete Neal on the live stream commenting, in my immediate neighborhood, Candy Cane Courts, there are 54 homes, 34 of which have solar power. There you go. So right now, solar for so many people is like a no-brainer, right? It, it requires an investment, but the return on investment is relatively short. Um, and you no longer have to pay electricity bills when you have solar. And on top of it, San Diego Gas and Electric keeps jacking up their rates. They keep reconfiguring their their peak hours to be in those time frames when solar isn't necessarily working as efficiently. So in order to play the game and to play the game effectively to win, yeah, people are getting solar on their own. They don't need to be told to do it. They're just doing it because they realize the impact that it has. Now, granted, new construction, it's all solar. And while I love seeing solar on these new homes, I don't necessarily agree with the mandate to do it. I mean, if you're if you're a developer, a, a contractor that's in the solar business, you love mandates. That's like guaranteed customers. That's like cronyism where the market's sort of rigged in your favor. Mandates work great for construction companies, companies that make solar panels, companies that make electric vehicle charging stations. But is that the right policy is to mandate it? (laughs) Pete Neal says two Corvettes, one Porsche, several BMWs and two EVs. Yeah, you know what? You line those all those cars up on a starting line there in candy cane court. 
And I'll bet you those EVs are able to blow past them for at least for the first up to zero to 30 miles per hour. <laughs> um, but I don't know. For, for me, I, I, I love electric vehicles and I just love the whole idea of having a power plant on your roof that powers your cars, powers your home. You're able to beat SDG&E at their game um, by you know being able to, and like in my case, our electric bill last month, negative $8. It's just a beautiful thing. Um, so what do you think about climate change? Should the city of Poway have a climate change plan? Now, in my opinion, the answer is yes. But I think Poway can do something special. And the climate change plan for Poway isn't a mandate on consumers and homeowners throughout Poway. The climate change plan for Poway should be a change in their business policies and their approach to managing city facilities, city fleets of vehicles, and city land and property. A climate change plan for a city should be city leaders walking the walk rather than just talking the talk or rather than saying, well, this rule doesn't really apply to us in City Hall. It applies to you and we're going to mandate it for you. That's kind of what Solana Beach is doing. So something, right? So um, – and and then, like I said, I the Solana Beach thing, those carve outs they have for fire pits, you know, it's like making these exceptions for the rich, for the influential in the city, you know, because you don't want to take away their entertainment because they've got this, you know, bitching patio fire pit on the ocean, you know, they don't want to disrupt that, right? Because they don't want to upset those that have wealth and power and influence, so they carve out an exception for them. Um, so again, I, I, to me, it, it just it strikes me as, uh, you know, not a really serious plan. And again, whenever I hear people <laughs> demanding action on climate change, the first question I always ask them, what kind of car do you drive? And then suddenly they get very defensive because a lot of them aren't driving electric vehicles. I think EVs represent only one or 2% of all cars sold. And in California it might be a little more, but not much more. Um, you know, and I think this is just a general, a good life lesson in general. Before you start demanding that other people change, instead look within yourself and ask yourself, what can I do to change my life? What action can I take to have a positive impact? What can I do to live with integrity, to live consistent with my own values? That is the right approach for addressing climate change and addressing all sorts of issues in life. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Yeah, talking about City of Arvada. Let's talk about parking wars. This is another interesting story. So this and this is kind of related to to climate change. It's kind of related to the development that we're seeing in parts of San Diego County. And this is in the city of San Diego and they've they've changed some of their regulations as it pertains to parking. This is very interesting. So 
And, you know, parking, you think, is a really mundane topic. But, boy, this is a hot issue for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, whether you're a customer or a business owner. I mean, there's a lot of impact as when it comes to a topic like parking. But San Diego has adopted a new policy wiping out parking requirements for businesses. And the goal, and it's a controversial move, is making the city less car reliant and more climate friendly. So this is this kind of, I'll call it utopian, but it's really not utopian. We're seeing this play out right now, that in some communities, the streets are just blocked off. In some communities, we saw this with COVID with restaurants, you know, bringing out patio tables and seating outdoors, taking over the metered parking in a lot of streets. In fact, Little Italy is a lot like that right now. Um, and suddenly we're seeing this transformation happen. Now, communities in many ways are a lot more walkable as a result of this. But this is freaking out some people. So the City of San Diego Council unanimously approved the elimination of parking requirements for businesses located near mass transit or in small plazas near dense residential areas. And new businesses in those areas would no longer have to provide any parking for customers and staff and existing businesses could immediately transform their parking spots into outdoor dining or extra retail space. And so this, I like this idea too, because the city is not mandating that those parking uh, lots go away. What they're doing for existing businesses is they're saying, you can choose. So the business, if they believe that those parking spaces are extremely valuable to attract customers, the businesses can keep them. But if the business wants to transform that land, which they're already paying rent on anyways, kind of part of their lease. If the business wants to transform that into an outdoor dining area, they have the flexibility to do that. Now, Prior to COVID, they weren't allowed to do it. Besides the regulatory requirements to set up outdoor dining, they would also be violating a rule because you have to have so many parking spots depending on the capacity of your restaurant. So, and according to the city of San Diego, they said they're not mandating that businesses eliminate parking, just allowing businesses the discretion to determine how much parking they need and how best to use the acreage available to them. But what's interesting is, is that transportation accounts for 50% of climate emissions. So this goes back to my point. When someone's ranting and raving about climate change, what kind of car do you drive? You know, transportation has the largest impact on this. Are people living their values? But if a city wants to take action, and this is another angle to a climate change plan for a city, Easing these sort of parking regulations would make certain communities less car reliant and therefore less carbon emissions. And the, and, the, and that area would be more walkable, more family friendly, in many ways safer because there would be less cars. Now, I know this is like mind blowing for people in Southern California since we're so dependent on the car. 
Now, I know this is part of the vision with mass transit, and that's part of the reason why they said that these rules can be relaxed when it's near mass transit. Now, apparently, they didn't want to do that in the beginning. Um, but, uh, you know, Marnie Von Wilbert, who is the city of council, city of San Diego council member that represents Rancho Bernardo and Scripps Ranch, she said, well, wait a minute, you know, up here in North County Inland, you know, public transportation sucks and it does. Um, so what she was able to do is carve out an exception. She said, that this would make sense if it's in communities that are near public transportation. Now, granted, even here in North County Inland, even though public transportation really stinks, people have a way of figuring this out. Um, but, you know, they always bring up certain, you know, groups, and, and that was part of, like, the complaint here. Um First of all, Von Wilbert says, we have no trolley lines in District 5, no plans to build them, and there are no major bike lane improvements coming. And she's right. She, uh, but she said, um, eliminating language that would have made the new policy apply to large properties where only a small portion is near a transit hub. She was able to persuade the city council to just do this when it's near a transit hub. So it's now defined as areas located within half a mile of a trolley line, a bus rapid transit station, two frequency bus routes. I mean, but still, even like here in North County Inland, a lot of the public, not only is public transportation sucks, but the public transportation that exists is rarely used. Um, If you go like to the intersection of Highway 15 and Ted Williams Parkway, there's this giant parking structure that was built and intended for people that would be driving their vehicle to that parking structure. And then they would then get on a bus, a gas powered bus that would go down the center of the 15 freeway and take people to downtown San Diego or to a couple of employment hubs. But that parking garage is barely used at all. So what's interesting is this objection that there's not enough, how should I say, enough public transit to make this work? Well, it can still work without public transit because people have a way of figuring this sort of thing out. Um, Pete Neal on the live stream commenting, Walmart and Stater Brothers and Poway High School individually have more square footage of solar panels than all of the city buildings in Poway. Yeah, I believe it. Now, those are businesses that are managing their bottom line, right? They, um, the Walmart and Stater brothers trying to maximize their electric bill, you know, like powering those, those, um, grocery stores with electricity off the grid is just crazy expensive. And then businesses in many ways are taking advantage of all of the, the rebates that are available to them from government, whether or not you agree or disagree with whether if government should be offering subsidies for solar businesses and frankly, homeowners would be foolish to not take them. I mean, that's kind of where I land. I'm not a big supporter of of it because I think a lot of it's corporate welfare. When taxpayers are subsidizing solar panels or electric vehicles for other people, 
I mean, it is a form of corporate welfare. I mean, look at Elon Musk, the richest man on the planet, and yet his three primary businesses all depend on corporate welfare. Tesla, SolarCity, and SpaceX. He's figured out a way to play the game. I do the same thing. That's kind of the part of the the system that we built at our home that I'm really proud of. But you're right. Also, the um, Poway High School did a very innovative thing there. They converted part of that senior lot into solar panel canopies that I believe are used to power. Is it the school or is it the performing arts center or is it both? I don't remember. But that's a that's a good move. I mean, putting in solar panels for schools makes a great deal of sense. Because it, 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 it pencils out, it saves taxpayers in the long run, and it's a great way for a school district to demonstrate their own climate action plan. Not by mandating that other people do things, but by looking within themselves and saying, what can we do? What, can, what positive action can we take? Um, so, so anyways... Um, the city of San Diego is embracing this plan. And we talked about this on a previous podcast where there are areas, I think like in City Heights, where they were kind of dreaming of these ideas where the, the, the neighborhoods were more walkable, that some city streets were blocked off and that there was, uh, you know, more of a community feeling in those neighborhoods rather than all of those streets being sort of drag strips for, for cars. Um, now, now this is really becoming a reality because as we move away from vehicles, at least people owning their own cars, because remember I've talked about, I think the future, we're going to start moving in the direction besides whether or not public transit plays out. Now, San Diego County has this very bold vision. Some of what some of it I like, some of it I think is pie in the sky. Like they just built that trolley line that goes from Old Town and goes all the way up to UC San Diego and through UC, and through UTC. Potentially that could work going to a university because there's high density. But for the most part, trolley lines have very low usage. You know, the, the one that goes from downtown down to the border, that is used quite a bit. But the trolley lines that go through Mission Valley, that go out to East County, not a lot of people on those things. So the city has these bold, or the you know, the city of San Diego, Sandag has these bold ideas for public transit. But I'm of the opinion that electric vehicles and self-driving electric vehicles are what we're going to really see in our future. I mean, trains, that's, that's that's sort of 19th century technology. 21st century technology are electric vehicles with sensors that can eventually be self-driven to the point where people will no longer own cars, but they may just pay for usage. I mean, it's almost like in the technology space, we talk about software as a service, right? You never license the software and and own it. The software sort of lives in the cloud, Right whether you're using Salesforce or QuickBooks. I mean, a lot of software lives in the cloud. It's software as a service. Transportation is going to start going in that direction as well. And people will be able to summon 
these driverless automated electric vehicles to pick them up and drop them off wherever they want to go, including dropping them off to communities that are walkable, that have limited or even no parking. Now, imagine thinking further down the line that if there's less need for cars because people don't own cars, then you have less need for parking in apartment buildings, condominium complexes, and even in suburban single-family home communities. I mean, how much of our lot, you know, the lot that we live on where our home is, is just for cars? You know, three-car garage, the driveway. Now, once we move beyond that, then I think there can be more dense living. And I think that's when we're going to start to overcome this housing crisis. But in, in California, we're, we have a love affair with a vehicle. And that is something that's going to be hard to change. Because the car gives us freedom to go anywhere. Now, trains won't take us anywhere. Planes won't take us anywhere, but automobiles will. I kind of go back to that John Candy and Steve Martin movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That's a lot of pillow. Well, cars can do it, but the, the, what we know of transportation needs to evolve, and it is evolving. One of my buddies had used Zipcar. Have you ever heard of Zipcar? Zipcar is like transportation as a service. You pay a monthly subscription and then you can use their cars as much as you'd like. And you have their app and there may be their cars will be parked in various areas around the city and you can get the keys and drive it. And when you're done, you park it. And there's certain rules you got to follow. But now people no longer are burdened with the maintenance of the car, the storage of the car, car repairs. That's all on the other company. Yeah, they got to pay for the fuel. But by transportation as a service, now suddenly this works with these these parking lot um, issues where if there's less parking, then so what? You know, you you can you can hire like right now you could hire um, you know hire a taxi. Uber, Lyft to take you. But at some point, we're just going to be able to summon electric vehicles. I think that's exciting. And you know what? It's not just in San Diego. In LA, they did this. And it was all as a result of what happened with COVID. And I'll have a link to this. There's a really great like 13-minute video that's on the website at reason.com that talked about this. And it's all about L.A. loosened the rules on parking during COVID, and they had great results. And I, want, I just want to share this story because it's great. I mean, you think San Diego is car dependent. Oh, my God, L.A. is a whole other level, right? Um, now, because of the COVID rules, um, they had to quickly reimagine what they were doing with parking. But the end result is, is that by reducing the requirement, the regulation that the restaurants have to have parking. It sounds counterintuitive, right? You would think, well, the restaurants have to have parking because how are customers going to get there? And if customers can't get there, then it frustrates people 
because then they can't go in there and do business. Or maybe the business owner gets frustrated because now customers can't get to them. So we automatically think that these kinds of this kind of parking is necessary. But by loosening the rules, what ended up happening is, is that the restaurants benefited and thrived, and so did the customers. So um, they did the same thing where, where businesses could choose. And what was interesting in L.A. is that the parking requirements and, and regulations were just extremely stringent, had a lot of old grandfather regulations. So the parking rules applied to this business, but not that business. And it was a mishmash. It was a regulatory, you know, cluster trying to navigate through it. I mean, it even got to the point there. there was a guy that was interviewed in the article. His name was Fast Eddie. <laughs> Great name. And he's the guy that helps these businesses sort of navigate the regulatory code in L.A., not just for parking, but regulatory code like if you put up a new awning or you want to have more than 50 people in your restaurant or you change your ice machine. I mean, every single one of those things requires getting a permit, requires getting city government to come out and approve your plan. Well, Fast Eddie sort of helps these businesses negotiate that because restaurants just want to make and serve food. <laughs> they just want to make customers happy. But in a lot of ways, they were burdened by this really heavy regulatory requirements. And you think about restaurants – and their failure rate, well, this doesn't help. <laughs> this actually makes it harder for businesses to succeed. Um, so the beauty here was is that COVID changed everything. And the city of L.A. approached business leaders, particularly in the restaurant space, and they said, what can we do to help you? Now, originally they said, oh, we got this money, you know, that came down the, the, the hill from Washington, D.C. or from Sacramento. But that really didn't go that far, especially when you had to divide it up amongst all of the restaurants. But these leaders said, well, why don't you just make changes to the parking requirements? And they did. And so what happened? Well, suddenly these businesses started laying out AstroTurf, starting setting up patio furniture on the sidewalk or out in the metered parking on the street. Um, in some cases, building what were they calling them? Kind of like a shed dining, right? And we saw this in Little Italy where they would build a structure and they'd have to build flooring so it was level, right? Because you couldn't put seating on, um, you know, in the area where people park in meters because it's sloped because of the crown of the street. So they set up this flooring so it was perfectly level. And then they, they built, you know, ceilings and fancy lighting and creative seating arrangements, and those communities in L.A. thrived. They were able to attract more customers. And then suddenly people are walking in their community more. People are seeing a, a different kind of energy on the streets. People are smiling more, enjoying their community rather than whizzing by at 35 or 45 miles an hour on the street. And L.A. restaurants have thrived as a result of this. Now, you know, you go into downtown LA, you'll see a lot of these parking lots. It's just like an asphalt desert. It just looks awful. But a lot of those now are being put to more productive use. And it's a wonderful thing to see. Now, are we going to see that here in our city of Poway? This is something I think about because, you know, that whole Poway Road is being transformed. 
And what are we going to see there? People are really upset about parking. It's a common objection. But I'm of the belief, I always say that I'm, I'm optimistic. I think what's going to happen in our hometown of Poway, this major, really, it's, it's a, almost a revolution of what's going on on Poway Road. Building a lot more housing that's going to house, I don't know, a couple thousand, 3,000 more people in a short, like one, one to one and a half mile span of Poway Road. There's going to be more restaurants, more services, more integration with the community park. And I think we're going to see a lot more of a walkable community. I am optimistic. Now, granted, Poway Road's still a major thoroughfare. They're never going to close that road. But by making changes and adjustments in that community, they may be able to redirect a lot of that traffic away to Scripps Poway Parkway or up Twin Peaks into Rancho Bernardo, up uh, Camino del Norte. I think there's a lot of positive changes. But the thing that's interesting that happened in L.A. when they transformed their parking regulations is that they didn't need a central planner. I mean, that's what they had before. You know, the, the, the city regulators were planning the number of parking spots to the number of people that live in the building or the number of seats in the restaurant. And they had their algorithms and their requirements and their regulations. But by loosening the rules, they just said, let individual people figure it out themselves. And you know what? People figured it out themselves. And they found new and creative ways to do it that ended up having a positive impact in their community and in their neighborhood. And it's been a beautiful thing. So it's really nice to see. Now, again, you look back at Solana Beach and the climate change initiatives they they are putting in, they're mandates. They're demanding these things. Granted, again, a lot of it's virtue signaling because very little is going to change. But their vision to solving climate is to create more rules when in fact creating less rules actually works out even better. In this case, reducing parking requirements transforms a community to be more walkable and therefore less auto traffic there, which then has a positive impact on the environment. And by the way, has a more positive outcome for people in that community where it's now more walkable, there's more interactions with your neighbors, there's friendly faces, smiles, and less of the traffic and the emissions and the safety concerns that come with automobiles. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued by some of these ideas. The city of San Diego is reducing parking requirements. The city of LA has already done it. I like that. Um, maybe in Poway, we could learn some of that as well. Okay. Again, I welcome your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type them in on Facebook or on YouTube. I want to shift gears for a minute and talk about another topic here. And this is in our hometown of Poway. Talk a little bit about Poway's Irish pub. Um, now, it's one thing to talk about a bar, right? And uh, But this is a great place. I mean, have you ever been there? It's, it's located roughly near the intersection of Community Road and Poway Road. It's kind of across the street from 
where where was it? Like five guys, you know, it's kind of across the street from there, across the street from the big dig, the outpost uh, project that's going in. This has been a bar as long as I can remember. When I when I first moved into the community, it used to be called the Hitching Post. And it was a dive bar, like a beer bar. It was gritty and dirty and had a pool table. And, um, you know, it was kind of part of the city and the country. That shopping center went through a transformation. And then it eventually became Patrick's Irish Pub. And a guy named Patrick actually owned it and ran it and did a great job. And then I don't know what happened. Patrick was out. Maybe he sold it. I don't know the whole story. Uh, but then a local guy here in Poway, Rob Goforth, a guy that I got to know when I was um, involved with Poway National Little League, he took over and, he, and changed the name to Poway's Irish Pub. And this has been kind of a pretty cool spot in town. Um, great, uh, you know, it's a great bar, you know, a lot of Irish um, drink, but a lot of Irish food, uh, shepherd's pie and fish and chips and that sort of thing, like a classic Irish pub. And they also have great entertainment there. There's always bands and DJs. In fact, one of my old bands used to play there frequently back when it was Patrick's. But now we've just learned that they're closing on December 23rd. And oh my God, the people are reacting. Um, you know, especially in some of our Facebook groups here in Poway, people are pissed. I mean, some people are sad, right? Oh, we're losing another great place in Poway. This is sad. Other people are blaming others, right? You know, blaming City Hall and our leaders, which really very little is on their plate when it comes to this. Now, other people were ranting and saying, well, this is a problem not just with you know, our city, but th- this is all goes to landlords and property managers, and these people are the enemy, these people are truly evil. That's what the people were saying. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what are you talking about? And I know people, when you rent, there's a lot of animosity between renters and landlords or commercial, you know, commercial businesses that lease and the property manager they do business with. But in my opinion, landlords are great things. So are property managers. Because... They provide, in this case, commercial property that can be used as a bar. If it wasn't for landlords, the Hitching Poach Post and later Patrick's Irish Pub and later Powie's Irish Pub never would have existed. But thanks to that landlord making that property available, we've enjoyed decades and decades of food, drink, entertainment. It's been great. And it is sad, but Poway Road's changing, Right. And so I'm sure the owner of that property saw, thought that he might be able to get a new tenant in there, maybe be able to charge a little more because of the transformation on Poway Road, but maybe able to put in a different kind of business that's going to be of more service to the two to 3,000 people that are going to be moving in in that community, moving in to that community, which now is going to be a lot more walkable. I think we're going to learn what's going to go in there. I'm kind of excited about it. Now, granted, Rob Goforth, who owns that, I know he owns the Irish pub. I think it's called Conway's. It's sort of near the Olive Garden and Carmel Mountain Ranch. He owns that. I think he owns another bar somewhere else, maybe down in Pacific Beach. He's a good guy. Um, Huge Cleveland Browns fan. In fact, 
when his, he has two twin sons and they were at the NFL draft when Cleveland had the number one pick. And I know that he got his sons on stage. I don't know who the number one pick was that year, but Rob Goforth, the great guy. And his businesses have offered great value and entertainment and food and drink for the people in Poway. I'm sorry to see his business, you know, closing there, but hopefully he reopens somewhere else. But still, some of the reaction that I saw online really kind of surprised me. Some people saying that this is the part of American capitalism that I just hate. That somehow capitalism is the problem. Well, no, that's not true at all. Capitalism is what enabled Rob to build his business and to start his business that enabled that landlord to build on that property and then to do trade. Now, what is a lease? A lease is where a a renter and a property owner come together and they make a, um, an agreement, a win-win agreement that the, the less, the, was a lessee or lessor, the, the company renting the space is going to agree and commit to a certain period of time and pay a certain amount and agree to certain rules. And at the same time, the landlord is going to provide the space. The landlord is going to agree and commit to providing a space that's safe and up to code and meets all of the rules. And in some cases, accommodate the special requirements of that renting company. And the lease is good for a certain period of time. Usually commercial leases are at least five years, sometimes 10 or 20. But when that lease is up, then either side of that transaction, they're free to find new opportunities. To me, that's the beauty of capitalism is that we have that individual liberty, that free exchange to find partnerships that are win-win, that we're not locked into things that we don't want to be a part of. In my opinion, that's the beauty of capitalism. That's what makes capitalism so moral. So good is that it's based on people voluntarily coming together to seek mutual benefit. But while it is sad that Poway's Irish Pub so-called lost their lease, did they lose their lease? Not really. They agreed to a lease that was for a certain period of time, and that agreement came to a conclusion, and it's going to come to a conclusion on December 23rd. The lease wasn't lost. It's just that the agreement ran its course, an agreement that both the property owner and the renter agreed to. And the fact that now it is, that the lease has expired, now both parties are free to exchange or free to come back together and renew the lease, which happens so frequently, not just in commercial property, but also in residential property. So it, it it was an interesting conversation because, you know, it's one thing to lose a business in Poway, a business that people like, a business that has given people a lot of entertainment and food and drink. I mean, it's a bar, right? We have those other bars in town, but people are really emotional. They're really connected to businesses that have been in their community a long time. And they're sad when they leave. They're sad when there's change. But you know what? 
change is happening in the world around us. We're just talking about change in Solana Beach, change in L.A., change in San Diego. And we're going through a hell of a lot of change in Poway. But each of us in our individual lives are changing. Each of us in our own business lives are changing. Changing, change itself is probably the only thing that's really truly consistent. But still some people have trouble with it. And I see this reaction that not only is weeping for the loss of an institution, but for some people have have weaponized it as an attack on capitalism, as an attack on landlords. And sometimes I just, sometimes I wonder how well people really understand the way the economy works or the way the the economy is supposed to work. Capitalism is what makes this this country great. Capitalism is what enables businesses to start, to grow, and to prosper. That results in wealth creation for the business owner and their employees and their investors and their suppliers, who in turn provide valuable products and services for the customers that they engage with. The whole nature of capitalism is about cooperation win-win relationships, but some people still want to weaponize it, still like to characterize it as some sort of an evil economic model. And I'm sorry, when I see that, I have to defend it, and I'm defending it here on my podcast. Now, granted, it's just a couple of anecdotal comments on Facebook in our local community, but it just really kind of just sort of struck a nerve with me, and I felt compelled to talk a little bit about it. But I'll tell you what, like I said, I, I've been there many times as both a customer, but more so as a musician. My old band Crunchberry used to play there. We were a cover band and we had a lot of fun. This is back in the, gosh, in the 2000s, probably 2004 through 2008. 10, something like that in that time frame. We play there pretty regularly, like probably about four or five times a year. Um, and it was a, it's a fun place and it's going to be sad to see it go. So we'll see what replaces it. Um, there's going to be a lot more change coming on Poway Road. Okay. Where are we? We're at one hour and six minutes. Now I had one more topic I could discuss and I had a conversation with our good friend Pete Neal about this a few hours ago. So we can, I think we can talk about redistricting. Oh, I also want to, first I want to talk about this whole Fire Phelps thing. I forgot about that. And this is a, this is a short story. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I do business at the uh, Postal Annex here in Poway. It's right next door to Target. The guy that runs it, his name's Dennis, a great guy, big sports fan. He's, he's a Dodger fan, a Laker fan, Rams fan. So I like to give him business about that. But he's a great guy. And I, I, I have a, a, a private mailbox there that I get all my business mail. So I'm always going there to, you know, um, to check my mail, you know, get payments from my clients. And then when I get a check from my client, I usually just walk across the parking lot to the Wells Fargo bank there. They have an ATM and I'll just deposit checks that I get from my customers and I put them in the bank. 
Well, I walk up to the ATM there right, right by Target, the Wells Fargo ATM by Target in Poway. And at the very top of the ATM, there's a sticker and it says Fire Phelps, you know, Phelps, P-H-E-L-P-S. I'm like, Fire Phelps, that last name sounds familiar. And I look a little further and there's some, there's a QR code. And then there's some fine print about Poway Unified School District. I went, oh, Phelps, Marion Kim Phelps, the superintendent of Poway Unified School District. And this is interesting. There's a movement to fire Marion Kim Phelps, the superintendent of Poway Unified. Meanwhile, there is a movement to recall the mayor of Poway, Mayor Steve Voss. So right now, the two leaders of the two major government institutions in our community, they're activists trying to tear down the leaders. And we, we've talked a lot about the, the Recall Voss mo, uh, movement, and I'm hoping to have a spokesperson for that community come on the podcast and talk about it. I've invited Chris Olps to come on board. Hopefully he'll, he or a representative of his group will join me. But th- now we're talking about Phelps. Now, granted, remember in my last podcast, I talked about all of the death threats that were being leveled on Poway school board members. People like TJ Zane and Michelle O'Connor Radcliffe and Darsh Patel and Cindy Seitzma, who we interviewed here on the, on the podcast. Um, and Ginger Couvret, another uh, person that joined us here on the John Riley project. They're getting death threats. They have people stalking them at their homes. So uh, there was a recent um, news clip on channel eight here in San Diego where Marion Kim Phelps is being interviewed about the death threats and about the harassment. And granted, it is a small group of activists, but this Fire Phelps in the QR code on the sticker, you know, I got my phone out and I scanned the QR code. It took me to a Substack, which is like a blog website that's very popular right now. It took me to a Substack page and there was video content and kind of making their case on why Phelps should be fired. But you know who's behind this is a lot of those protesters that frequently have been showing up at Poway Unified School District meetings, the same ones that were there that when the city, when the, when the Poway Unified School Board um, ended the meeting, this is on September 9th, according to these activists, they didn't adjourn it properly. They just abdicated their, their seats and then they the activists elected themselves as the new school board, which is funnier than hell. But it's the same group. And I think a lot of them are aligned with the Let Them Breathe group. In many cases, a lot of them don't even have children in our community. But this group has been going out and harassing school board members, in some cases harassing families at schools. There's been a kind of some low-grade graffiti going on. Um, so it's it's just interesting. But now they're calling for... Mary and Kim Phelps to be fired. And I'm starting to see stickers about this. I mean, these are usually like stickers you'd see on the backside of a stop sign that skaters would put on. But in this case, it was right on the Wells Fargo ATM here in Poway. It's something. And granted, I think the recall Voss movement, although a long shot in itself, has more of a probability probability of winning than firing Phelps, but still, um, just a, you know, this is the over politicization of what's going on in our society nationwide, but even in our own microcosm here in Poway. Um, 
people are really heated. People are very political. People are politicizing things that really normally aren't political in the first place. But here we are. <laughs> That's the, the situation we're in. Okay. Now, I do want to go, I want to make a couple more comments on redistricting. And we talked about this, I think, on the last podcast. You know, uh, the 2020 census is happening. The city of Poway, the Poway Unified School District, both have to update their district maps. You know, the maps where each of their elected representatives come from. And whenever this process occurs, it always gets a lot of attention because who ends up approving the maps? Well, the elected representatives get to approve the maps. So in essence, they end up selecting their voters rather than the voters selecting them. And this always invites comments of gerrymandering, invites comments of underhanded activity. And in some cases, it's pretty obvious. At Poway Unified, it was extremely obvious. But a lot of people are upset about what's happening in the city of Poway. Well, they're going through the process now. Now, the city of Poway appears to be trying to be transparent, trying to show maps, trying to have public comment on the maps. But the the line that I'm hearing is that the 2020 census really didn't change things that much in Poway. There wasn't like a sudden influx of one ethnicity. There wasn't a surge in population growth, although we will be getting that in a few years once the Poway Road um, development is completed and once the farm in Poway goes in. Then that's going to definitely rock the world of demographics, but those won't be eligible until the 2030 census update. But for now, not a lot of change. So city leaders seem to be comfortable just kind of going with the status quo. Now, normally one would think that would be fine, assuming that the map of the status quo was created in a fair, impartial manner. But this is where the controversy exists, right? Because while the city goes out and hires a demographer to come up with a number of different uh, different plans, they also invite plans, invite maps to be submitted by the community. And in the end, according to the story, as I understand it, I haven't confirmed this precisely, but the way I understand it is that the map that was approved in 20, when was it? 2016, 2017 was the map that was created by our mayor. And that's the one that is now the status quo. A map that one could argue protected all of the existing city council members because each sitting city council member has their own district. The same is true in Poway Unified, but to a far more egregious level. There, they had four out of five elected representatives living within a circle with a one mile radius. Even though they lived in the, the district itself was approximately 10 miles by 10 miles, a hundred square miles, four of the five lived in a circle with a one mile radius and Poway Unified divided that circle into three, thus protecting three of the five on the school board, which happens to be the three of the five that are in the majority that largely dictate the policy of the school board. So there, the gerrymandering was very clear. 
In the city of Poway, less so. But the city of Poway, you know, there's always going to be doubt. There's always going to be um, suspicion when politicians are involved in redistricting. Now, I was hopeful that the city of Poway would try to be as transparent and as at arm's length as much as possible with the process of the of the development of the map and inviting a third party to come in and recommend radically different maps, not just maintaining the status quo, not just by taking the existing map and making a couple of tweaks if necessary or making no tweaks at all because the 2020 census didn't really change much, but radically transforming the map. Not according to what you know the individual city councils want, city council people want to protect their own interests, but something that was done in a very nonpartisan, independent fashion. Now, frankly, I think if the city council would have adopted such a strategy, that's a great way to rebuild trust. And right now, you know, there's a certain erosion of trust in the city of Poway because of all the development that's going on. Now, granted, I'm generally optimistic when it comes to this development. I'm very supportive of property rights and capitalism, which I've told you about. I'm optimistic that a lot of this development is going to be good. But there's a lot of people that disagree with me. There's a lot of people that are extremely angry, not because just because the city is growing, not just because there's going to be more traffic, more impact on city resources, but they just don't like the fact that there's change happening in the first place because they want the Poway to be the city in the country. They want Poway to be what it was in 1972 or 1945. Um, But I've always thought if the city of Poway, particularly our city leaders, were to really be at arm's length and say, let's have an independent commission come in, maybe even have some public input, and divide the city um, districts in a way that makes sense to the eye of the average citizen. You'd look at it and say, yeah, that makes sense. Like right now, the map doesn't make sense. The Garden Road community where I used to live is is split in half. Part of it is in District 4 and part of it is in District 2. And District 2 includes Green Valley and High Valley there's a very different communities with different demographics, different income levels, different home values, and frankly, very different needs, very different traffic patterns, very different socioeconomic uh, levels. Whereas the Garden Road area is m- more dense, more older homes, more modest homes. And they all kind of drive through that same bottleneck at the end of Garden Road as they get on Poway Road and eventually work their way to wherever the heck they're going. We used to live way at the very end of Garden Road in in a community called Sycamore Creek, which was relatively newer homes. These were homes that were built in the late 80s. But the rest of Garden Road, those homes, I think, were built in the 50s and maybe even the 60s. But that community, which is very like-minded, particularly of the older community in Garden Road, was split in half. That doesn't make any sense at all. Apparently, um, 
Bernie Guzman, who's one of our uh, frequent listeners and viewers of the podcast, he made that case to the city, to the city leaders at, at the city council meeting last night. My good friend Pete Neal told me the story this, the, earlier today about it. So what are they going to do? What's the plan? My instinct says is they're probably not going to do anything. They're probably just going to maintain what exists. It's just easier. But what it's going to end up happening is if they just rubber stamp what already exists, then what you're basically doing is reinforcing the original plan that was drawn up by the mayor. So you're ultimately reinforcing a plan of our city leaders that chose their voters. You know, there's a better way to do this. Um, A real shuffling of the deck. There's a lot of other interesting things. Pete and I were talking about other parts of Poway. You ever been to the part of Poway that is... It's, an, it's right near Rancho Bernardo High School, but it's like if you're going up Pomerado Road and you cross over Twin Peaks and to the left, there's housing. There's like a little cul-de-sac and you drive up a hill and there's a plateau up there. A lot of, there's a number of homes up there with a certain amount of acreage. And there's like people that have these nice little farms that they've built up there. There's some custom homes. Pete and I were talking about that particular community. It's kind of an oddball case doesn't really fit. If you ever look at the map for uh, the way they've divided up the districts in Poway, that little community that's in the north, how would you call it? The northwest corner of Twin Peaks and Pomerado Road. That's connected with, with District 1, which is sort of south of Twin Peaks. That That little community probably should be more aligned with District 3, which is they're neighbors that are just right across the street on Pomerado Road. That doesn't make any sense. And that's grand. That's a small exception. That's a very small community. I don't know how many homes we're talking about, but probably well under 100. Splitting Garden Road in half, that's a bigger deal. Um, and, and to me, that's just not really logical. Now, granted, I know the way they did the districts, they tried to get reasonable levels of equal proportions by race, roughly equal numbers of voters. But if you do that in a way that ends up kind of splitting communities in half, it doesn't make sense. It's like in the city of San Diego, they're talking about the same thing. And one of the big talking points or discussion topics is whether or not to split Rancho Penasquitos in half, you know, right down the 56 freeway. A lot of people in Penasquitos are like, hey, no, man, keep us together. We're all part of the same community. We shouldn't be split in half and then essentially be diluted. So then what else? You know, like if, if, if you want to be so bold and look up where I live, I live in District 3. But really, my community is District 2. I live in the Green Valley area of Poway. But if you look at the way, way they draw the lines, it's bizarre, but my little neighborhood is in District 3. It's really 
it doesn't make sense. Now, I don't know if that's just the result of the way the precincts are set up. Because remember, the precincts are sort of like the, the most granular building block that they can use to construct these districts. Because the precinct is, you know, where all the votes flow in. So you can't really be more granular than a precinct. And that might be part of the hangup with that unusual little strip of land at the northwest corner of Twin Peaks and Pomerado. That might be the hangup in my particular case where I'm in District 3, but I really should be in 2. I remember when John Mullen came here in 2018, he, he joined me as a guest here on the podcast. We talked about his campaign and I was joking with him. I said, hey, I'm, I'm your constituent. He's like, really? I go, yeah. He goes, no, you're in District 2. I go, no, I'm not. Look at a map. And sure enough, I'm in three. So I couldn't vote for um, uh, you know the District 2 candidates in the last election cycle. This cycle, I can vote in District 3. Now, who's going to run? And we're going to find out. I don't, no one's really announced yet. I think there is suspicion on who might be running. Is, is John Mullen going to rerun in District 3? Maybe. Probably not. I think he said he was going to retire. Um, there's another gentleman here in town that people are think will be running in District 3. His name's Peter DeHoff. He's pretty outspoken on social media. He's been very active in the city. Is he being groomed for that spot? I think so. Is anyone else going to step up from District 3? Probably not. Or I don't know. Maybe. Maybe some people will show up. Maybe some people will declare. Heck, maybe I'll declare. Probably not. I won't. I won't do that. But I'm in District 3. So I'm curious to see how it sorts out. But I will say this, is that uh, the way the lines are drawn now, the existing map is flawed. There's a lot of cases that are just illogical. And it's not so much corrections that need to be made because of the census. They're just corrections that need to be made to make the map make sense. So let's see what happens. I mean, this has got to be approved here pretty soon because they're going to be having an election, you know, in, in about a year. Candidates are going to be filing in the summer of next year. So this is something that's got to be straightened out here in the next couple of months. So we'll see. So again, I invite your thoughts and comments on the live stream. To me, I know this is interesting. Um, you know, this podcast is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Well, when it comes to the reason I like to follow politics, it's part of it's the liberty piece of it, right? Um, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The other part, I, for me, politics is, local politics particularly, it's almost like following sports, right? You've got You've got different players on the stage. You've got um, heroes and villains. You've got um, winners and losers. You've got different people with different agendas, different strategies. In some cases, to benefit themselves. In other cases, to benefit their constituents. In some cases, a little bit of both. And in the end, it has an impact on what happens in your community. I find it interesting. Now, granted, I vote. My, I have one vote. My vote doesn't really make that big of a difference, but I still vote. It's my form of free expression. Uh, but I like following it. And I think it provides some interesting content in this podcast because very little people talk about it. Um, so that's why I enjoy talking about it, too. And I know there's people in our town that like talking about it or like learning about it. 
and I'm very happy to share with them. So if you have any more thoughts and comments on anything, you know, feel free to type them in, whether it's the city of Solana Beach and their climate change plan, whether it's the city of San Diego and their relaxation of parking lot regulations, just like the city of L.A. did. We talked a little bit about Poway's Irish pub closing. We talked a little bit about capitalism, talking a little bit about Marion Kim Phelps and, and the move to fire her and the stickers with the QR codes that I was noticing and a little bit about redistricting. And, oh, we also made mention of our UC San Diego Tritons who were 3-0, and baby. My alma mater is 3-0 and playing Division One basketball. I'm just so fired up about that. They're playing this weekend in Sacramento, at Sacramento State. And I'm itching for another electric vehicle road trip. I might go up to that game uh, just to get out of Dodge for a while and, uh, and uh, free my mind up. So I might be doing that. And that might be another fun opportunity for a remote podcast and certainly an opportunity to do an EV road trip podcast when I get back talking about my adventures. Um, so we'll see if I get to that. Okay. All right, we're at about an hour and a half. I think we're going to wrap this bad boy up. This is episode number 260 of the John Riley Project. We're trying to stick in this time frame of Wednesdays at 2. Um, and we'll stick with that. We'll see how that goes. 4.30, I have a chiropractic appointment. I'm, I've had like a really, I don't know if you could tell on this podcast, if you're watching the video, just a really stiff neck. Like the last two days, it's been really painful. So I'm going to go visit Dr. Mark at Community Chiropractic here in Poway. And he's always good at helping me out. And so I'm looking forward to that. My appointment is in an hour. And I got a budget time to drive southbound on Pomerado to get there. So um, on that note, we'll see you later, friends and, and neighbors. This is John Riley. This is the John Riley Project. Thank you for joining me. And we'll see you next Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.